Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to Midpoint. Now, our guest today is an old colleague of mine from when I worked on Radio 5 Live and he came to our attention as a Blue Peter presenter. He had to apologise to the nation for taking recreational drugs. But there is so much more to Richard Bacon than that. We didn't even go near that episode in his life. He had a near-death experience when he was 42. He was literally seconds away from dying. He was diagnosed with ADHD uh, about a year or so later and he's recently relocated to LA a couple of years ago and turned himself into an incredibly successful television producer. Now, he's married to Rebecca and he's got two small children and he seemed very interested in Annabelle Knight, who's our expert on this episode. She's a relationship expert and she talks particularly about keeping intimacy interesting in the over-familiar world of lockdown. Now, he does drop a swear word occasionally and, um, and of course, we are talking about sex as well. So this might be one that you don't want the kids to listen in on. He also admits to liking cannabis gummy bears, which are legal in LA. This episode, as ever, is brought to you with Solgar, who have vitamins and minerals for everyone and everything. And you can get 20% off using the Midpoint 20 as a code if you go onto their website. Richard being Richard, there was no natural start point to this podcast, so we kind of crash into it. Are you in, um, is that your name of your road? I won't say it on the podcast. Yes, yeah, I live in an area called the Bird Streets, which is um, old Hollywood, and all the streets are named after birds. So the Beatles oh. wrote a song about a street called Blue Jay Way that's on the Magical Mystery Tour. Oh. It's, a, it's a really cool Hollywood. Yeah, it's a lovely name, isn't it? Isn't that sweet? And Richard, you're talking to us today in your guest house. Yeah. Uh, you're having a bit of a refurb there. Yeah, I've got... Um, I bought a house here about five months ago and then I've been back in England for three months working, so I've not really seen it. But we are doing it up. It's not much... I'd show you, Gabby, there's really not much to see because there's literally painter and decorator been working in here all week. But it's... This is where you you and your family will stay when you come to visit us, Gabby. <laughs> we don't have to say it's Sunset Marquee anymore. <laughs> no, no need, no need. You're upgrading to my guest house. So this is um, the, the Gabby Logan suite. Tell everybody why then you are in LA. I'm not entirely sure. How, <laughs> <laughs> you, how, long, how long have you been in stateside? Uh, five years I've been here. and um, Gosh, have you been there that long? Yeah. And, and uh, with the initial departure, was it, was it always to be a kind of for, you know, the forever or ad infinitum? Or no, did you just I, go I think on, we on thought, a whim? myself and my family thought we'd come here for uh, two to three years maximum. And... Yeah, we've gone, we're actually well over five years now. And I suppose the longer you stay somewhere, the more it becomes your home. Uh, and then it becomes a little bit harder to leave because the kids are in school and you get to know people. And then I've sort of built up a career here that I didn't expect to, which is essentially inventing game shows. And um, uh, and that's gone pretty well. And so, and now I've bought a house. Mm. Like, you know, suddenly, we were going to move that's back last year. Permanent. And then suddenly you've got a house and you think, well, if I've, now I own it. I've got to do at least two or three more, right? You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like I've, yeah, I've, yeah, I've yeah. made that leap. So we'll be here for a bit. So your kids are going to be American? Well, they've got really horrible accents already. 
a really revolting mid-Atlantic accents. Kids drop that quite quickly though. I lived in Vancouver when I was a kid. My dad played football out there. And within about an hour, I was Canadian. I was eight. And, <laughs> uh, uh, well, actually, that's not true. I played on my accent for a week because it was cute. It was, oh, you're so cute. And so I carried on being English. And then I got bored of that and became Canadian for, for the rest of my time. And then when I came back to England, I did the same thing in reverse. So kids yeah. kids can kind of they move their accents quite quickly. It's, my kids yeah. sound like um, like a British person doing... An American accent in an amateur dramatic play. Do you know that? We know when they draw out the vowels and they say, wah, you know, that kind of thing. And it sounds, it actually sounds really revolting, but they just don't, but, but they're too <laughs> They don't realise that yet. They're too young to even know what an accent is. So you're there with your kids and you're, you are perfectly placed to be on this podcast because it's all about midlife um, and being in the middle of our lives. And, um, and actually where we might start is what could have been the end of your life because there's all kinds of dramatic things I think have happened to you kind of you know there's things we can talk about that could be life life life-changing but what happened to you a couple of years ago when you came home and you had pneumonia I think it was diagnosed I wasn't well it was similar to pneumonia it was um I was flying home from America and I got a double lung infection so pneumonia is one lung a double pneumonia is when it hits both lungs and that's when it's very dangerous because you haven't got any spare capacity to breathe yeah I haven't got a third and um, <laughs> and it was so they, ne- they never worked out what it was, but it was similar to pneumonia. And I went to Lewisham Hospital. I was hallucinating on the aeroplane on the way home from Los Angeles. And then when you check in at hospital, check in like it's a hotel. But when you go to a hospital and say, I'm short of breath, they take it very seriously. And now, um, in a way, what I had was a bit like a sort of fast acting COVID. Mine went from naught to 100 miles an hour in 24 hours, whereas COVID takes longer than that. But it was very much a respiratory thing. And I hadn't understood um, how seriously hospitals take it when you say you can't breathe. So they said, rush me through, did a load of checks, looked at an x-ray and gave me a four minute warning and put me into a coma. They just said, you know, it's it's overtaking your lungs and you're going to die if we don't put you into a coma. And then they sort of tried to reassure me. I made some quick phone calls to relatives and was asleep. So what, why, I, sorry, that was, did you see that? That yeah. was a child who just, who in spite of being told that I was working, was obviously <laughs> desperate to, to get something from her father's office. This, no, but this, um, is, this, is our, this is our modern world, isn't it? We're all kind of working. I know. Well, you know. For the first time ever doing these podcasts, I haven't put a note on my door saying stay out. Because I thought, by now, they'll know. No, yeah. clearly I've got to put that note. So um, so the, the, I, I don't want you to kind of relive all of that and all That's the drama. But I, but I just wonder kind of how... It, at that point in your life, it might have changed anything about your life view because where those kinds of things happen to us, I think, are important in terms of the effect. You know, if that happened to you at eight years old, it's not going to change anything. Is yeah. It? But what what did it do to your view of life? Well, I think it made me more impatient. It made me, I suppose, several things, really. It's made me think about death a lot. It's quite hard not to think about death when, you, when you're that close to it. The consultant afterwards said they, they had expected me to die. Um, you know, they, I turned blue. They got the crash equipment out. My blood oxygen went below 60, which is you're meant to die below 60. Um, and so I was within seconds of dying and then somehow didn't. And so thinking about death is um, the, it is, I suppose it goes from being a slightly abstract concept, even though you're, very aware of it and we all have seen people around us die it's still even in your 40s I think I don't know how this changes in your 50s 60s 70s 80s but I was what was I 42 or 43 when that happened and um I still death still felt 
distant and abstract and not something to really think about. And then, and then it didn't. And now I think about it all the time. And I think maybe that's has dovetailed with this sense of um, urgency of like trying to get things done. And so much has happened since then. And I think it is to do with, it's to do with me kind of wanting to sprint at things. I was already impatient, but there's definitely, um, yeah, just a sense of wanting to get things done and a realisation that uh, I'm definitely going to die. We definitely have a finite amount of time. Yeah. We just don't know how long it is. So does it make you less less risky? And I don't mean risky in terms of career or risky in terms of what, you know, challenges, in terms of putting yourself in the line of danger? Feel- <laughs> I don't... I- no, I'm the only way I put myself in danger really is by, I suppose, going out and drinking a lot. I don't, I'm no, there's no other particular way in which I put myself in that much danger. And that is plenty of danger um, because of my nature. But no, I don't suppose. Well, you, it, I, didn't you stop drinking? I did, yeah, but then I started again. I mean, I'm, I'm always stopping <laughs> drinking and then announcing it. Like it's a big thing. Like a death. Do you announce? Do you announce it in the hope that it'll make people go, "No, Richard, remember you're not drinking." Or do you announce it as it's? You know, some people like to tell you all the time about their various eating kind yeah. of uh, idiosyncrasies. You know, what they're eating, what they're not eating. Is it? Is it to kind of make people? I think I did. I, I've done it a couple of times on Twitter where I said I stopped drinking, and I think I did it to help. It's almost like holding yourself to account. Like, oh, if I put it out there then, you know, it's going to be a thing. And, and you know when you put it on Twitter, a lot of friends are going to see it. They're all going to send you a message. And I suppose in a way you feel like, or I felt like I'm starting something, making in particular people I know. On Twitter, you can tell people you know about something in your life without texting them directly. And, and I suppose I thought, it did, in fact, I thought that would help. And it did for a while. It did. It, it was, I've said it, I better do it. And then after a while, I, then after a while, I get bored and start drinking again. But when you say you're drinking, let's be clear: you're not you're not like waking up now. It's seven o'clock in the morning in LA. Yeah, you're not you're not sitting there with a with a cocktail waiting to go. No, you? no, 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 no. I mean, I did have a few drinks last night and a couple of weed guys, but um, <laughs> in LA, is we, the weed? She so said you had some weed. Weed some gummies. Weed. weed gubbies. Yeah, weed gummy. You know, like a. So, oh, weed like, gummies, like, like sweets, cannabis sweets, infused sweets. sweets. Yes, yeah. cannabis infused sweets. So is that because they're legal? They're legal. Yeah, you just buy them in yeah. a shop. They're actually. Yeah, it's really interesting, like the the innovation that follows legalization. So there's uh, there are various shops, but there's one called Med Men, and you go there and it's laid out a bit like an Apple store, but it's full of of cannabis, and it's got joints and it's got cannabis. It's got drinks infused with cannabis. There's a lube cannabis, there's a bath bomb cannabis, and then you have the sweets. But all of them are very precise about the amount of different types of, of cannabis. You get things like some bits, there's a strand called sativa, which is uplifting. And then they always have the balance of THC to CBD, you know, all that sort of stuff. But it's, it's so precise that you know what you're getting and what it's going to do to you. And there's another one that can help you go to sleep. And you look at it and you go, look at all this innovation that's follows legalization and it all seems clean and it seems safe and you know what you're doing and you're not encountering a drug dealer and, or at least you are, but it's a shop. Um, yeah. And it's kind of, it feels, it feels like progress. 
Did you um, enjoy weed before you lived no. in a place where it was legal? No. So is it, is it a new? Is it a new thing? Yeah, I don't smoke it. Repertoire. I just have uh, a, a couple of gummies Sweet. here and there, and it was it was nice. After that you've time. drunk alcohol, what does it do then? After you've had the alcohol and you have the gummies, yeah. What's the? What does it just make you more mellow? Yeah, it's just more mellow. Yeah, it's nothing very dramatic. Yeah. I don't get. I, I can't. Cannabis affects me quite strongly, so I can't really take that much. But it's quite mellow. Time slows down a bit. And you can get a bit giggly. I was, I was trying. So, I was doing some work on an edit last night, about, and I was just laughing so much. I have no idea if the show is that funny, but but yeah, it makes you giggly. And when you live in a place where it's legal, it seems crazy when you come home and it's, it's not. not. Because you're like, what's what's going on? What's what's different about? Is you know, is the place falling apart? No one. You, you you never get a sense of people overusing it particularly. You know, it, it's just it just slots into life and you get together with a friend and have a drink and have a gummy and feel quite mellow and go to sleep on it and feel fine the next so, day. So we got to drugs because you're saying how the staring death kind of in the face yeah. or even, you know, being yeah. seconds away from it made you speed up and want to kind of get projects done. And then then we've gone on to cannabis, which slows things down and makes things more <laughs> mellow for you. So <laughs> it's quite it's quite an interesting kind of pairing, quite an interesting marriage there of those of those that, parts of your that, life. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's true. I suppose there's also an element of me that, um, you know, I have ADHD as well. And maybe, well, almost certainly there's a, there's a very regular correlation between people with ADHD and, and you know, drinking and taking certain types of substances. And I think it's about, that is about being a bit more in the moment. Um, it, they with, with ADHD, you very often have lower blood flow at the front of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. And a bit of drink can mimic, as stimulants do the same thing, but they kind of mimic what you're missing. They don't really change it. But that thing that's not, not quite right is masked over with drink. Um, um, as it is with stimulants. And so cannabis is not a stimulant, but equally, I think it's, it is partly about the desire to sometimes slow the brain down a bit. So the, the ADHD um, diagnosis also came kind of late in life, didn't it? Yeah. In, in the midlife. Was that, I think that? that was just before the coma, because I remember the, the, I'd been seeing a therapist and he said, I think you've got ADHD, you should go and see a specialist. And you have all these questions, it's a massive questionnaire, which is a catch-22 for someone with ADHD because you, you really don't want to fill in a massive questionnaire. And then there's the, <laughs> the brain scan. And then he sat me down with my wife and he said, you know, you are, he said, you're lucky to be alive. You have quite severe ADHD. And he said, um, he, so he patted Rebecca, my wife, on the shoulder and said, she's keeping you alive because she's very, she's very not. I mean, most people aren't ADHD, but you know how some people are like very not ADHD. Do you know what I mean? Just solid yeah, and steady yeah. and focused. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. She's very not. And he said, oh, she's, you know, she's keeping you alive. And then he looked at me and he said, you're lucky to be alive. And then about two months after that, I was in a coma. Never really thought of that before. But they, <laughs> What did he mean? What did he mean, though? I think because he means so when, kill, when that you were capable of killing yourself through, through being kind of so hyper. Yeah, yeah, that you could, people like me with my type of ADHD often will just trip over and like bang their head and, or, you know, fall in front of a car or there is, there is, it's, it's easier to do something like that when you have a certain type of ADHD um, because 
It's complex, isn't it? It's partly about being distracted. Mm. It's also about the opposite, which is the real superpower of ADHD is that you get hyper-focus. We all have it to, to a degree. So if you are working on a project, if you're writing an article or something, everything you or preparing a show and you love it, you have, you have, we all have a kind of hyper-focus when we're doing something we like. Um, but with ADHD, you have it to another degree. And so it's quite handy if you're in like a creative place if you're trying to work on an idea, it's actually really quite useful because you just zone everything out. But again, that can be quite dangerous too because you get so zoned out mm. that that can lead to a kind of clumsiness. And, mm. and so that's what he meant. Whether it's through drinking too much or simple, straightforward clumsiness, he, he said, I was lucky to be alive. And how did your wife, Rebecca, did that make things kind of make more sense to her, you know, once she heard that? Because presumably she's lived with you for a long time. She's kind of known it, hasn't she? Yeah, she did make more sense to her, yeah. It's been really useful. Um, And I've got some ADHD medication, um, which I like. And it's it's been really useful. It's good to understand yourself. And it's good to know Mm. a bit about um, what the real pitfalls are of someone like me and why it's dangerous. And then it's also good to know how to help, how to use it positively. And to now that I understand this kind of hyper-focus, which comes with the lack of focus, I do feel like I lean into that. Now that I know it's there, mm. I'm very, I kind of, I'm actively using it at times. It's um, a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? When yeah. somebody tells you that's, that's, you know, part of this, then you, you embrace it a bit yeah, more. Yeah, exactly. You, you know yeah. You do, I so, do. So, why did why did this not get noticed or was it not there when you were a kid? And does it make sense of things that happened when you were a kid? It must, it's a good question. I mean, it must have been there when I was a kid. Um, I think a lot of things make sense in hindsight and definitely my relationship to, to drinking and, and previously using stimulants. And I think that, that makes more sense. Um, and yeah, the way that I kind of get very, very passionate about things very quickly and then then really quickly and then quickly move on to something else and quickly move on to something else again in a kind of hyper-focused way but also a kind of scatty oh he loves that for these two weeks and he thinks it's the most right. interesting thing that's ever happened when I started working at McDonald's when I was 17 I just thought it was the most interesting job of the whole world I was running home and telling my parents about how long it took to cook the meat from frozen in a Big Mac and it was just it just gripped me for two weeks and then I was just bored to death um <laughs> So, you know, it's that. And, um, so being a children's television presenter was perfect, absolutely yeah. perfect for you in many ways. Switching uh, subjects the, all the time. In some ways, now that I'm in a world of, of um, making and trying to come up with TV shows, that on the one hand, I really like the hyper-focus and using that to work on ideas. But on the other hand, I do miss the kind of structure of being on, for example, the radio every day, that... I don't have that structure. I have periods where shows are in production, um, shows are in the edit and all that kind of thing. But I, uh, I don't have that structure. And it's quite hard, I think, with, for an ADHD person not to have structure. It's a bit weird. So I'll have moments of going, oh, I'm in my hyper-focus. This is fun. Let's try and make this idea better or write a new one altogether. Um, but at other points in the day, I feel a bit, like, slightly lost. Like, I could mm. do with someone telling me, Right, at two o'clock you're doing this, and at four o'clock, and then you've got this guest, and then you go in here, and then you've got an outside broadcast. Whereas I don't have that. I just sort of potter around and daydream most of the time. 
I think I think there's um I, I you stuck with the Daily Show on Five Live longer than I did. When I started doing it, and I've been doing weekends and bits and pieces, I really loved going into the same place every day for a while because I'd never had that really in my career since since I did local radio. Because in sport, you're just all over the place yeah. all the time. You yeah. Know? And but then after a while, I start to miss variety, you know, and I start to miss not how the week's going to pan out because we've got lots of different things going on. And I did the same thing with the daily TV show I did that I did for Channel Five yeah, for um, Princess Productions, and I did that for about a year, and then and then didn't. And I and I <laughs> moment I'm kind of craving something regular again, even though I've got oh, loads going on with yeah. with sport. I kind of feel like, oh, maybe it's time to do like you know something like that. And I don't I, I don't know how people do twenty years. I mean, I don't know how long Nikki Campbell's been doing. Breakfast. I don't it get it. Yeah. It's an incredible commitment, isn't it? <laughs> You know, it comes back to, in a way, the time slowing down thing that we touched on briefly, which is, although we were partly talking about cannabis, but um, it's when you when you change things in your life a lot, which I have done a lot and you have done, you keep changing shows and I've given up so many jobs and made big changes in my life, that, that time definitely slows down. That, mm. like, what did I do for seven years on Five Live maybe, but... In the, the first year or two when I moved to America, when you when I made such a big change, it was you couldn't believe how long a, it took a year to go by. A year to go, yeah, yeah. Whereas when you're on the radio forever, you, suddenly three years can go by and you're like, oh, oh, right, mm. oh, God, really? And mm-hmm. uh, and so for me, it's about... I think it's a bit like, cause it's a bit like being at school, isn't it? Because... You have you're told how many holidays you can have. You know you've got right. You're going to do for, well, 45 weeks on your show this year. Do you know what I mean? You're told when your holiday. Yeah, yeah. And so it's and, and when you're at school and oh, well now my kids are teenagers at school. Terms fly. You know like they never flew when I was at school. No. Now time moves so quickly because there's always another holiday looming or another you know another school. Well, it's regular looming. patterns. Time moves quickly when you live inside a regular pattern, and uh, and that's why. Well, one thing you can do if you're willing to, and it involves taking a risk, as you have done, is you can keep changing your career or at least shifting. You don't have to change the entire career, but you can keep shifting what you do within a career. And sometimes on Twitter, when I'll see like one of our old colleagues saying, you know, join me at 6 a.m. on, and I'm like, oh, you're still doing that? (laughs) You're still doing that? But they, but they, you know, I think it's just different personality types. Yeah. It must be because you look at things like Radio Two, and you look at Ken Bruce and people like that who've sat in that same slot for so long and and done. Well, maybe shows. the longer you do it, the harder it becomes to give up. And and you do it yeah. for so long, and uh, a bit like alcohol. A bit like alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> a bit like alcohol. Yeah, it ages you. Um, <laughs> some point will finish you off. So a near-death experience. Um, has definitely changed you. Well, it's definitely changed me in terms of um, uh, being more driven and more focused and more impatient to to, uh, to get things done. And then has I it changed suppose... you as a father? Say again. Has it changed you as a father? Yeah, it has because you can't help but think about when when I went back to the hospital afterwards and met the consultant, and he told me I was a few seconds from dying, and, and they expected me to die. You do then think about, you look at your kids and um, you think, you know, them, you don't need to know much about child psychology to understand that if you lose a parent when you are, Ivy was four or five and Arthur would have been uh, eight and no, seven, um, that that changes the whole outcome of their life, doesn't it? Changes everything. So mm-hmm. they've been therapy forever. 
They'd be talking about their, you know, if you lose a dad when you're seven, mm. you'll remember your dad a bit and there'll be really cherished memories and their their death will be a kind of shadow over every day of the rest of your life. So, so mm. um, yeah, I, I do... I do feel closer to them than ever, really. I mean, we're a really tight little family unit out here. And obviously going through COVID, if you get on as a family, it's actually been, you know, if you don't get on as a family, it's terrible. But if it's if you do get on in the first place, it's also been good for that, hasn't it? But it has changed me as a father because I've thought a lot about um, how close they came to um, just having everything changed forever. What about as a husband? Um, well... Yeah, I mean, I think I'm still a really annoying husband. And I think, I mean, look, I'm, I'm very, very close to Rebecca. I'm very much in love. And I think things are quite good between us at the moment. But it's been, she's had a hard time. It's, it's, you know, it's not that easy being married to me. And as I say, she's so opposite of ADHD. And, you know, we, you know, you go through a chapter like that and others um, that in some ways I'm, I'm amazed she's stuck around. But now that we've got this far, it feels really good. And yeah, and it it's all, almost, you go through so much, it, it could be insane to split up. It'd be like, that no, we can't do it. Like we can't, that was almost like that was all a waste of time then. We can't, we can't go through all that and now split up. Um, and uh, no, I, I, no, I'm closer to all of them, really. And that is partly a consequence of what happened. Well, every episode, Richard, I have an expert who we talk, we talk to this expert about things that pertain to midlife. So we've had everything right. from diet, exercise, sleep. Oh, this great. week, it is a relationship expert. And Annabelle Knight is there. She's she's ready to talk to us now. Annabelle, you might know, Annabelle has often done television works. You've seen her on things like Big Brother and uh, Morning Britain and things like that. So she's... Um, Hello, Annabelle. Hello. They're ready to talk. I don't think Hi. you just heard Richard there, Annabelle. Nice to see you, by the way, and hear from you. And you. Um, um, so last time we spoke, Annabelle, it was on Richard Osman's podcast, and he was the only single person I spoke to in the whole of the last series. And so we were talking <laughs> about dating in midlife. That won't be the topic for Richard. <laughs> He's happily married, in love, but is, is confesses to being a difficult person to be married to. But we're all going to hit bumps in the road, especially around now, Annabelle, in this kind of COVID life, this very insecure life as well. So um, I guess it's tips, please, Annabelle. Tips for us, you know, kind of. Tips for when relationships go a little bit stale. I always say this to all of my couples. Every relationship is completely different. You all have your unique styles. So finding the ways in which you can muddle through together are slightly different for everyone. So while these are general tips, if there is something that specifically works for you, please don't throw that out of the window. Keep doing that. Um, I think active transparency is something that... um, is can be practiced and can be introduced into a relationship and that is something that allows you to um kind of uh, understand your partner and have them understand you a little bit better and what i mean by active transparency is it's almost like micromanaging your annoyances um, and some people feel that this is a negative like you know if ever, if i talk about every little thing that annoys me we'll never have anything good to talk about but what that actually does is makes everything transparent within your relationship and instead of those problems festering and then you make a mountain out of a molehill they're dealt with in the here and now so they become non non non-events um and because you are talking to your partner 
and you have a constant dialogue going with this active transparency, you have a much clearer understanding of, you know, what, what drives them and what ticks them off in a much clearer, much concise way. So you can manage, you know, your behaviors a little bit better. If you know that something you do or some way you behave or some way you react causes mm. a negative impact on your partner, you can adjust your own behaviors um, and they can adjust theirs. And it's about, it's about finding that middle ground and meeting Is there. That- Richard, is that something you practice already, active transparency? Well, I don't, um, I don't know. I don't think so. I, 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 but I, you're right about meeting in that middle ground. It, it's, I suppose it's been such a tra- strange few months for all of us that, um, that don't you feel, Annabelle, that measuring how to fix a relationship against normal times is a bit difficult at the moment, as in... People are seeing so much of each other and so much of their families that the, the, the dynamic has changed a bit and that it's, I don't know, Annabelle, is it, is it something very, are we going through a, a, an experience unique at the moment? Unique period. That's just so unique, unique yeah. that it's hard yeah. to even oh, fully abs- understand. Absolutely. And, you know, I, like I said before, everyone's different. Everyone has their own unique couple style. Um, and if you have found something that works for you in this time, then that's absolutely brilliant. And I would never knock anyone, you know, for just getting by because this has been, like you say, the strangest few months. We're, probably. we're not meant, are we, to marry somebody and spend this much time with them? No fucking way. I mean, <laughs> but Annabelle, that is, that's crazy, isn't it? There's a concept that humans came up with. I mean, even marriage in a way is slightly, is a sort of crazy idea that, well, you fancy that person in the bar tonight and you're going to fancy them for 45 more years is, is, um, is odd, right, as an idea. And then in something like COVID, you just have this sort of relentless over-familiarity with each other. Like how yeah, are people supposed to keep fancying each other when they, are, when they see that much of each other? Well, I think the short answer is they're not. And accepting that is a big step through to getting through this because during, especially COVID, you know, you're seeing 24-7 pretty much your partner. They uh, not only are your husband, wife or, or partner or whatever, but they're now your work colleague and they're your best friend and they're, you know, fulfilling all of these roles in the same space. They're occupying all of that space in your, not just in your like, uh, present life but in your thoughts and in your being and in your here and now um, and it's completely normal and natural that you know we're going to get oversaturated with our with our partners which is why um my, yeah. practicing mindfulness is so important you know if you are so aware of your partner and yourself and how that is affecting you in the here and now you can act on that instead of letting it fester or trying to repress those feelings because you think you know that's better in the long run um I'm a huge believer in, you know, grab the ball by the horns when it comes to issues in relationships. I think anything left festers and it rots and that causes yeah. a level of toxicity that's very hard to cleanse yourself from. I, I, I get what you're saying there, Annabelle. And I've, I'm married to somebody who literally, he doesn't just nip it in the bud. You know, he kind of, the bud's not even allowed to bud, you know. So he, <laughs> he's always been kind of very much from word go. That part of our relationship, you know, I, I kind of feel that's pretty good. We can, we're very open about stuff. But I kind of, what Richard's alluding to there, that over familiarity in terms of there's no mystery at all is there there's no you know (laughs) so it's the uh it's the more you know kind of potentially intimate side of your relationship you know because if you're with somebody all the time it's like being on honeymoon all the time isn't it when it's just (laughs) yeah it's it's, it's you know when you're watching like an american drama well no any almost any drama um 
where a couple have been married for a long time, they will, there'll be scenes where they're tearing each other's clothes off to have sex. And, and you just think, in what world is someone who's been married for 15 or 20 years <laughs> going to be, are they ever, are you ever going to just tear each other's clothes off? To have sex. I think you can. I, I'm such a strong believer in, you know, making it happen. If you, would, if you, you know, if you watch those scenes in the films and you think, do you know what, that hasn't happened to me for such a long time, but I would like it to happen. There are things you can do to implement that. And, it, you know, it's not going to be... Like what? Like, I, one of the things I love to get my couples to do is to write down five sexual scenarios that they would love to find themselves in, whether that's acts, positions, places, role play, whatever it is. Write down five things that you'd love to do. And you can have done it before. You might want to revisit something, but it's a sexual scenario that you feel like you are, are wanting or you have a desire for. And you get your partner to do the same thing. And then you just cross-reference lists. And it's so common that a couple will have a similar thing that they both would like to do within those five things. Um, and I always say, try and do all of them. It, unless there's something that's in your like kind of hard no category, try and do all of them and plan for it as well. I get mocked so much because people say there's nothing sexy about planning for sex. No, you're right. There isn't anything sexy about planning for sex, but it does ensure that you have sex and that sex is sexy when you're having it. It only takes a few moments of, you know, oh God, yeah, we're doing this again before your your kind of guttural instincts take over and your and your yeah. natural urges take over and it becomes really enjoyable. And it is kind of like going to the gym. The more you do it, the more you want to do it. Okay. okay. All right. I think Annabelle, I think that's a good place to, you know, to take to, that's a good takeaway. All I oh. ever want from from our experts is something to take away. You've given us a practical bit of advice there, which Well, it's basically have more sex was, but, but was no, uh, list, I think where list, Annabelle list writing, Anna... Richard involved a list. It did. There was a list <laughs> there. Oh, there was a list of five yes. different sections. Right. That's the takeaway, well. yeah. So you've got to you've got to write a list. Annabelle, thank you so much. Um, no, I'm gonna, no, thank I'm you gonna check in me. with Richard soon, sometime in the future, uh, and see how the list No, I'm gonna talk to him. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell I'm gonna suggest it to Rebecca today. I think <laughs> I think she'll just say, sorry, what? Okay, yeah. Can you write down five different sexual things you really want to do? And she'll I think she'll just say, Have you put the kids' no. breakfast stuff out yet? And I'll go, no, I haven't. No, let me do it now. <laughs> But, um, but I'll give it a go, Annabelle. You Thank you. Give it a go. Bye, Annabelle. Thank you, Annabelle. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I'm actually going to might as well try it. I mean, yeah. Well, why not? Why not? It's you know, you, what what can what harm can we do? Well, a lot of harm, I guess. If the five that, things, if the five things on your partner's list are so far away from who you thought they were, you're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it is so. You you hit the nail on the head because it's not that you don't like the person any less any less than you did before or you don't you don't find them funny even although it's harder to find that person funny when you're with them 24 hours a day isn't it i oh, know <laughs> but yeah the intimacy it, it yeah you know it's there to be it's there to be worked on it's you know it's also interesting talking to annabelle because it wouldn't even cross my mind to try and do something proactive like that and it's, it's you know you just kind of get on with your life and your life has a certain rhythm and you probably do plan for sex, and that's just the way it is after a number of years. But it's actually quite interesting hearing someone say, you know, try something different. And I'm going to, and I will report back on a future podcast. With a one-show gear change, would you say that your happiness is as know, easy to access as it ever has been? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. I've always been 
or is it? I don't know. I mean, I, I've always been very happy-go-lucky and I've always, um, I used to say that about twice a week, I'd think I was having like the best day of my life. I, I really just went, I think in my 30s particularly, I was just enjoying myself so much and bouncing around on the radio and being incredibly social in London and just going to everything and knowing everyone and meeting new people and being invited away to lovely houses and, and yachts and all sorts of things. My 30s were just really exciting. And um, and I definitely have, my whole family have that that optimism thing where everything's great and everything's excited and we're interested in everything. Um, so I've, my happiness has always been very, very uh, the surface of who I am. Um, uh, you know, recent years, as we've discussed, have given me a different perspective. But my happiness is still... It's definitely still easy to access. In a way, um, it's not now that I am not on the radio every day, now that I am largely trying to sort of daydream up new TV shows, it is, it's, def- it's not quite as fun. The, the rhythm of life just isn't as fun. But I think life's just and not as much fun at the moment. I know that might just be It's not. It. It's very repetitious and... Yeah, something's been taken. Something's been taken away. So maybe my happiness isn't quite as easy to to unlock. Um, and I've definitely, I've definitely lost something in terms of that. Where I used to think I was having the best day of my life twice a week, that that, that that's not there anymore. Um, but you know, life's still fun overall. That's yeah. Maybe that is is all about midlife. Maybe that's one of the midlife learnings, isn't it? I mean, mid- midlife is so you know when you get into your forties. So you're forty seven, and I, I the thing I didn't like about getting into my forties was is the doubling thing. So when you're thirty five, and you go okay, double at seventy. That's all right, seventy. I probably make seventy. Right, most would make seventy. Then when you get to forty five, you double it. It's fucking ninety. <laughs> oh my god, what? I'm not going to make 90. I mean, that's, <laughs> and so you, that, I, that's, that, I do that a lot, that doubling thing. And I, and it's, do you know what I mean? Totally. That, I've got, oh, um, yeah. I've said it before, but I've got, um, on this podcast, I've got um, five relatives who've lived to over a hundred. Right. Okay. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of thinking 50 is when I start getting a bit depressed about <laughs> the doubling thing. I go, okay. What was their life like at a hundred? Did they have, Amazing. Did they have so one of really? my, my great uncle, Eddie, he was 105 when he died. He still lived on, on his own without a carer. And he only ends yeah. up in hospital like for a week before he died. A really interesting guy. When he was in his nineties, like 95, 96, he was still getting on the bus and going to recycle his glasses. His so glasses. great. Yeah. It was all, when he was like 98, he took out a new insurance policy that matured in three years' time. <laughs> he was, and when I, I joined the BBC, he must have been mid 90s at that point. And he was so happy because he said, I know that means you'll present the Olympics in five years' time when it's in London. And he was like 95. And I was, <laughs> he was looking forward and to telly. <laughs> Yeah, he made it. Yeah. Um, so, so he's a really good kind of role model of somebody that, you know, can live well and kind of long. Yeah. The only thing is, Richard, what I haven't told you is that he never had any kids. So I don't know if I'll be as, as quite as chipper at 100 as, as he was. But um, I fully, I expect to live well into my 90s, though. I'm surprised you don't. Do you? Yeah, I do. I, I don't. But, um, but there. <laughs> keep, because... keep chewing the gummy bears. Keep chewing the gummy bears. <laughs> well, they slow down life enough, the gummy bears. That I'll just feel like I've got into my 90s. I'll feel like I've been alive that long. But it is... But you, it is um, 
Is it midlife? I suppose it is midlife, isn't it, the age right now? I suppose it is realistically about midlife. But you definitely have that sense of, I'm past halfway on the conveyor belt. You know, if it was, if it was, if it, well, if it was golf, we'd be on like the 12th hole or something. You know, it's... Oh, wow, it's like, a sporting analogy. I'm honoured. <laughs> the only sport I've ever played is golf. Do you still play golf? I play golf. Do you play? Do you, uh, we met on a. Uh, we met on a, thi- on a charity thing in Chiswick. I'm going to start playing again. I used to love it. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a nice old man's hobby as well, Richard. That's it. It's an old, it's an old man's hobby, and I'm now an old man. Um, it's also it's interesting yeah. isn't it, when you get into your. You know, we've been presenters for a long time, um, and I'm still presenting stuff, presenting a show next year. But you also there's that. Do you, have you found that you start to go? Okay, at some point I should transition into something else. Going back to what we said earlier on, I like the change as well. So I want to do, you know, I, like when the FA, you, you probably didn't know this, because I don't know if you're back in LA, but the, the chairman of the FA uh, had to resign a, a, a few weeks ago. Because I did see something about it, yeah. Considering the racist comment, wasn't it? Was like, we made a comment. Yes, racist, yeah. sexist. And I said, oh, I could, I'd like that job. I think I could do that job. And I literally yeah. came down to breakfast and I said to Kenny, what do I need to, I think he might be the CEO. And Kenny said, well, you probably need to go and be a director somewhere first. And then you need to, and then he's like, give me six or seven people to speak to, you know. So then, and then by the time, of course, it got to lunch, I'd moved on to a different thing. I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. But I, there are times where I have regrets that I think, oh, I should have started doing those projects a bit earlier. But then that's what the whole point of this podcast is, that it's never too late. And like, you've turned yourself into now a super successful television executive in your 40s. So it is never too late to reinvent and to do things. that um, I do... The, the danger, though, of um, of making a change and doing something is is it can also go wrong, can't it? And there is, you know, if you watch a lot of TED Talks, the vibe of them is, is a lot of them is, you know, that you should take a risk and that you should turn things upside down and try something new and it's never too late. And, you know, we, you and I have both done that at different times in our careers. I often think about, you know, the way that history is written by the victors. There must be a lot of people who get into their 40s and listen to the TED Talks and go, right, I'm going to quit my job. I am going to try and invent that new type of bath plug and pour my savings into it and stop being a teacher and sell my house. And, it, and then it goes wrong. That, that, that must happen all the time. But we just, I, was, I wanted to make a They don't get asked series. to make TED Talks, those They're guys. They're not going to give a TED Talk because it fucking went tits up. And it might well be that the number of people who turn who actually take a risk and succeed the percentage is tiny it's just that they're the only voices we ever hear we don't hear about the person who had a nice job he had a perfectly nice job he was happy he was a teacher and now he's in a caravan his wife's <laughs> left him his kids hate what? him he's squandered the inheritance they're hanging over him and he's got nothing left but and, you know and, what he's not in the rat race anymore <laughs> no, no, he's not in the rat race <laughs> I wanted to make a documentary series once called Who Thought They'd Be a Millionaire? It was just that, which is all people sitting in caravans going, listen, I did what everyone said. I took a risk. As we finish this this, uh, chat today, you've basically been the voice of reality at the end and the voice of reason at the end, I think. Normally I kind of finish with some great uplifting, optimistic note. Go on, guys, get out there, do it. But Richard's advice is... Well, no, it's it's just a really, it's really, really complex that, isn't it? I, I... when I, I came to America, no, I, I wasn't even sure why I came here. And the first job I had fell through. Um, and, and I found in the first year here, I didn't have that much to do. And I was like, I was more I was like jealous of Arthur going to school. So I was like, oh, look, he's got like, <laughs> he's got a routine. He has to be somewhere at nine. 
They have to be somewhere. That's oh, you have to leave the house and be somewhere at Nobody night. Nobody notices if someone notices. Nobody You've got notices. a place to be <laughs> and a purpose and a thing to do. And so yeah, someone will go, where were you, mate? Whereas no one says, no, in my first year here, no one's saying that to me. And I and I did in the first year think that thing. Oh fucking hell! I did I did do that thing that everyone said and take a risk, and now I've got nothing to do. And then you know, and eventually the ship writes itself, and you find. You find a new path. I think maybe the answer is this, that if you are going to take a risk in your your midlife and start a new venture, or maybe even start a new job and take a big risk, I think the reality is there is a good chance you'll get to where you want to get to, but it will be quite rough. It'll be rough for a while. Like I think that I think the making change is, is rougher than you think it's going to be. Yeah, Yeah. You have to be comfortable as well with, you mentioned it earlier on, not not being worried about failure, not being worried about, you know, what people think about your success or failure, you know, and that, yeah. and that is a really rare position to be in it, to be, to be that comfortable with yourself that you can go, right, I don't care. That also just doesn't matter that some people don't like you. I mean, if you're going to be a host, you imagine, if you're going to be a presenter and absolutely every single person likes you, then you'd actually be really bland. It wouldn't, it's not, it's not a very interesting place to be. We're just justifying our positions here, aren't we? <laughs> Yeah, that's my problem is, it's, it's the other way around. Like my problem is, you, know, you need some people to like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like you, Richard. <laughs> Thanks, Gav. And I really enjoyed chatting to you. And I'm, I'm more excited about our next chat on series three, where you'll come back with news of how the five items went on the list. Uh, yeah, when you've been married a long time, even bringing up the list feels weird, but I'm going to go and do it. I know, I did sound like a creepy voyeur then, said I'm really excited about seeing how the list went. What I meant was, <laughs> I want to know that you've done it. Not no, I want to know that how the conversation went. There you go. No, sure, I'll, I'll say to Rebecca, I want you to write down a list of five different sexual positions that you like. She didn't just say and, positions. She said well, scenarios and, you know. Isn't that the same thing? Is that just another word for the same thing? Oh, I see. I, I read <laughs> it. Oh, it means like, okay, different, you know, oh, <laughs> yes, let's go to the, this, maybe. In the car, whatever. Okay. But I'm going to go to her and say, yeah. you write down five different sexual things, scenarios, positions, ideas, and she'll say why... Like it's breakfast time here. Why are we talking about that? And I'll say, oh, it's Gabby Logan's idea. I've just been on her podcast. <laughs> and then she'll say, I'm sorry, you've been She's talking about my sex life on Gabby Logan's podcast. I said, that's right. Yeah, that might. Well, and that's going out. Okay, yeah, yeah, it's going out. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, back to the list. When can we start? <laughs> well, good luck with the list. Good luck with everything else. I'm really excited to hear about how all your projects are going as well. And I'll see, no doubt, the 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 proof of that in the next couple of years. Richard, it's been amazing to chat to you. Thank you so, so much. And I can't wait to come and stay in the guest house, actually, when it's finished. This is, so, your, this um, is the, uh, the end of the Gabby Logan suite. And uh, there'll be some gummies waiting for you when you get here. I'm very excited about that. Take care and um, be good and stay safe. Lots okay, of love. Thanks, Gabby. Bye, bye, bye. I miss hearing Richard's voice on radio. He used to do the show after me on Five Live and come in and kind of promote and trail his show. And I always found him absolutely fascinating. But as you can hear, he does need a lot of stimulation, doesn't he? And he obviously is moving around from job to job and country to country, and that suits his personality. I wonder if uh, he did actually ask Rebecca to write that list. Um, I hope you enjoyed Annabelle Knight. I think she gave us all some good advice. Um, But I think the thing we can all do in our relationships right now is just try and be kind and cut each other a little bit of slack, maybe. I am trying. Uh, Thank you to Richard, to Annabelle to Solgar for sponsoring the series. At the moment, I'm a fan of their Immuno 7 and also, of course, taking the vitamin D3 and C, as you know, which I eulogise about every week. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. I will see you next time.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 